Hi everyone, this is Ben Edwards and you are listening to Crossing Over, a podcast that is dedicated to exploring the human journey. You can listen to Crossing Over on your favorite podcast app, including iTunes and Google Play. You can find Crossing Over on Facebook at facebook.com slash crossingoverpodcast or on the web at crossingoverpodcast.wordpress.com. Aaron May Lewis and Steve Yulberg travel the country sharing their gift of music with anyone willing to listen. They were gracious enough to find some time during their last trip to Denver to drop by my office and have this conversation with me. Our conversation journeyed into music, contemplation, and the recognition that the two might not be all that separate. One quick note before we listen to the conversation, you will be hearing some music on today's episode. These songs are old hymns recorded by Aaron May and Joshua Messick. Aaron graciously shared them with me for the purpose of having them on this episode. I hope you enjoy the songs as well as the conversation. Thanks for listening. For starters, I feel like we should just make a note, because this is going to sound a little bit different than other um, interviews that I've done, that we have a busy highway behind us that's making some noise, and we're all trying to use one microphone to do this. So it might sound a bit odd, but I think that the conversation will be worth just sticking in and listening anyway. Um, So, Steve Yulberg and Aaron Lewis are musicians and um, old and new friends and they're here to talk with me today about a number of things so let's start maybe just by having you introduce yourself and just say whatever feels appropriate yeah so i grew up in concordia kansas and I started playing piano when I was five and got a mountain dulcimer for my seventh birthday. So doing music and particularly um, bluegrass and folk music and um, old time mountain music has been kind of, I guess, in my blood since I was really young. I met Ben at Sterling College in Sterling, Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been friends for a long time and I have continued to do a lot of things with my music and so that's music is what brought me to Denver today yeah yeah cool and I'm Steve Yulberg and I was raised in Ohio and my parents said Mookie was my third word 
Mookie? To represent music. Nice. <laughs> Mama, Mama Dada Mookie. Um, and I started piano when I was six. They made me wait till I was six. I wanted to start earlier and they made me wait. And then trumpet was next and then guitar and mandolin and then mountain dulcimer and mm -hmm. hammer dulcimer after that. Um, but I got started, you know, I was a late bloomer. I didn't get started until I was in college. So, um, and I, I've worked in a lot of different ways, but everything I've done has had music at its core. And when I was a inner city pastor in a very Corinthian-like community, um, music was our organizing tool. It's what brought people of a lot of different cultures together to create a new tradition that was not, that had streams from everybody, but wasn't everybody anybody's hmm. um, like a braid I guess and um, and I've been a church musician and I'm a traveling musician and teacher and performer that's really cool a lot of really good stuff um, so what feels like a really good place to start for me is to just share a quote with you and to just let you run with it to say whatever you want because I just have a feeling that we're gonna unpack some really cool things around it so John O'Donohue, an Irish philosopher and, and theologian, uh, said one time in a podcast that I was listening to, song is what language would be if it only could. And I love that quote, and I figured that you two would as well. So ready, set, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll throw another quote back, which has long been one of mine, from a Dove chocolate rapper. <laughs> that said, I know it's cheesy, but it says that music music touches feelings that words cannot. Uh. And there's just something, like music gets to the core of things where talking can sometimes keep us separated from each other. Music can sometimes get like to the level deeper, mm. like peeling back the layers of the onion that, that words are only reaching these outside layers and somehow music gets like right to the center of it. And so whether it's a way of processing something difficult in your personal life that music can help you like find expression for what you're feeling that you haven't been able to put to words yet or whether that's taking a whole community of people and giving like a common voice to this whole group of people yeah like i think music does both of those yeah that's good I'm thinking of quotes too. Um, St. Augustine said, whoever sings prays twice. Yeah. And Martin Luther's take on that was, music is the handmaid of theology. So it serves. Huh. So there, you know, it's kind of an interesting little um, thing. I th one of the things I think m music can do is nurture a sense of self hmm. that can be independent of... I. I don't know if I want to say everything, but it can nurture um, an identity that is separate from other expectations. Hmm. And we live in this time when, you know, I grew up, there were three TV stations. There were a limited number of radio stations you could get during the day. At night, AM broadcast everywhere, so you could lay uh, in your bed and I could hear from everywhere. But yeah, um, <clears throat> and it was all AM radio at the time. I'm that old. <laughs> but um, now people really identify themselves by their musical choices. Yeah. It's very interesting. They'll say, well, I'm a, 
I'm a, I'm a classic rock. No, I'm a new wave. I'm a punker. I'm a folk musician. I'm a bluegrass. I'm an old time. I don't want any of that bluegrass. And, and, <laughs> and you can start, this is the name of the music, can start a fight. Yeah, that's true. You know, and we don't do that here. Oh, of course not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like that idea of that you find a sense of self within the music. And uh, I'm just wondering if you have any personal experience that you could share where that's definitely mm. been, been true for you. Wow. I know that most of what I get to do now, I think, is what I envisioned doing when I was a teenager. Hmm. It was the era of arena rock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how many people can you get in one big space to listen to loud music? And I was never interested in that. I was yeah. always interested in more informal kind of things. But I'm from a small town. There wasn't a coffee house. I mean, coffee came in a Folgers can. It was in your house <laughs> <laughs> or their house. But people did not get together. And, you know, we'd heard about it. And yeah. we'd have a pastor who wanted a youth group that sang. And so we did those things. But my visions were never singing for crowds. It was always for more intimate groups, and I spent a lot of my time in house concerts yeah. and and traveling the country, meeting people I haven't met before, like last night. We've had a relationship with our host. I, I mean, it's been a virtual one, but now, hello, yeah. I feel like you've been here before because you've been on my computer, but, <laughs> but now you're in my space for the first time. So there's a way in which what I get to do now is more like what I dreamed before it was possible. Interesting. So it seems like the person that, that you kind of imagine that you were as a kid is the person that the music that you that you teach and that you play now sort of like unlocked the potential to become. And it steered my way through. I thought about majoring in music, and I know Erin went to major in music, and they wouldn't let her major in her main instrument. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's why I did not graduate from Sterling College. And Boo, Sterling. Come on, guys. <laughs> but it's, it's, That's representative of all college music. Uh-huh. At yeah. least in the way it has been for a lot of years. I don't know that it's all that way now, but um, if I had focused on voice, I was not ready for that. Trumpet, I didn't have a lip. Piano, I, I refused to learn how to play correctly. Those are my three <laughs> options, and I, I was going to be sunk. But then people would come to me when I'd play, and I'd be playing some Beethoven piece that I liked, and they said, can you do that for my jury? Because I have to, I'm a vocalist, and I have to play that. It's like, uh, I can't, I don't think they'll let that. <laughs> here, we're just going to close the door. I'll play over here. Um, so I liked doing it, but it was like, no. And the things I wanted to do, they didn't teach. Hmm. So that kind of steered my way through that. I kept doing what I wanted to do. So what did you want to do back then? I wanted to do what I'm doing now. Okay. <laughs> so the dulcimer and the hammer dulcimer, the not dulcimer. Well, I didn't know about the hammer dulcimer yet. Okay. Um, but it was in college that I was exposed to both those instruments. Okay. I, guitar and mandolin were kind of the thing to be. I went to guitar or college mainly. It was guitar, some piano, but it was it was uh, unamplified. People singing together, a lot of music creating community. That was some expression, but more creating of community. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. How about you, Aaron? So I think for me at this point, it's really difficult for me to think of an identity of myself that doesn't have music at the core of it. Like, yeah. I mean, having started playing music from such a young age, music being a really formative part of my entire childhood and upbringing because a lot of what my family did was travel together to music festivals. Yeah. And so, like, my whole childhood was centered around music. 
Then I went to college to study music. Uh, found my way to two different colleges because Sterling didn't let me do Mountain Dull Summer. <laughs> and I realized rather quickly that I'm not a classical pianist. And no matter how long I stayed at Sterling College, I wasn't going to become a classical pianist. So that might not be the best path. Um, and then I ended up at South Plains College, which had um, is in Leveland, Texas, and has a commercial music program that had more emphasis on styles of music that weren't classical, hmm. and things like recording and sound engineering and um, live sound production and all, kind of all the parts of the music business that make the wheels all turn besides just how to play an instrument. And then I was on the road with my sister for five years. We toured pretty much full time, yeah. traveling all over the country, playing anywhere that would basically give us the opportunity to open our instruments and start playing. Yeah. And, and now I'm teaching a lot and I'm really dedicating a lot of my energy into how to, to teach other people this instrument so that they can have some of those same experiences hmm. because music has shaped my identity so much I feel like it's this really empowering thing for other people and I'm getting to work with little kids and I'm getting to work with people who are like 50 60 70 years old hmm. and never had any music in their lives ever wow. suddenly find this tool for expressing all this stuff that they had inside of them for years and never had a way of getting it out and now I'm just like this is amazing like all of this is how I identify myself which brings us right back to the quote that song is what language would be if it only could. And so you have people that you're teaching yeah. who are like real life examples of that, that they experience song in a different way and suddenly they feel like they're expressing something that's been locked in for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. I had a friend who once used, used to say, I don't think I can say that in English. Hmm. And she was not, she only spoke English. <laughs> but it was her awareness that the limits of mere words. It's like pro, poetry can do what prose can't. Yeah. And mere words, it's like, where's the color? Where's the tone? Where's the, hmm. the, the, where's the timbre? There's all these things that can be, like take rapper Gregorian chant. Hmm. You may be on one note. Right. But because of the rhythm and what's happening and the shaping of the tone, you're creating something that all of a sudden is other than mere Gloria. Yeah. There's a word. It could be Gloria, Gloria. <laughs> it could be That's a true. pop song. <laughs> Gloria, 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 Gloria. You know. <laughs> and it speaks differently. It, yeah, um, yeah, it's true. And it's interesting. I'll look at my kids who are in their 20s now, and I'm putting on some music that I've been working on, and I didn't tell them anything about it. We're in the kitchen cooking. All of a sudden, they both stop and go. My son and his girlfriend both start going like this, and that, that was the one I wanted. That They're moving their heads and moving yeah. their body a little bit <laughs> to one side in time with the music. It's like, that's what I wanted from that one, but I can't say anything about it. <laughs> it's like, got it. It worked. That one. There's the hook. Nice. <laughs> Uh, something that you said sent me into a whole world that I spend most of my time in. So I, my life has been filled at various times with different kinds of, of song. 
and that's meant something to me. But for the most part, when you guys talk about how music has like defined you in some way, that's definitely not my experience because mm -hmm. aside from being in a punk rock band when I was in high school and then a cover band in college, I have no like even semi-professional music experience. So the world that I kind of find myself in a lot is the world of talking about God and talking about spirituality and there is something about it it seems like maybe that's like the fundamental difference between like a fundamentalist understanding of god and the world and scripture and where i find myself a lot is mm. this recognition that at some point words fall short and you need something other than just simple words and maybe it's poetry uh, maybe it's song but you need something because what you're experiencing just can't be put into this box that the single way of speaking that we know can really capture. Um, so yeah, not really a question. I just wanted to share that with you that made well, me think about that. To me, that sounds like Romans. It's, you know, uh, when I can't pray, the spirit intercedes with groans. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Too deep for words. And you know, that's the roots of, that's the roots of slave moans and chants in the blues. Uh, and the blues is the roots of rock. And that's right. You know, it just, Okay, yeah. This may be a psalm experience we're having right now. All we can do is... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I have to say right now. You know, that... Yeah. I've, I've been doing some reading recently by um, Frederick Douglass, mm -hmm. who, you know, of course, tells his own story of being enslaved. And he goes into... Which I've, I've read from some other people from around that time as well that the songs that have sort of come up as like these slave songs that someone in my situation, you know, who has never experienced that kind of just pain and suffering can only really understand this music so much that there's something that even he was saying that like the white people that walk by can't quite grasp what these songs mean. You know, that there's something more than just the tune, more, more than just the words. There's something deeper that's there. Well, and if you think, too, about, like, David playing his harp for mm -hmm. King Saul, and that was the only thing that would calm him down, and and that's that's another part of the music outside of words, right? Like, the, the making sounds with your voice that maybe don't come out as words, but there's also this playing an instrument in a, without needing words to say something, and, like, that can take you into a place of, of contemplative worship or prayer or whatever you want to call that, or just a like a space where there's something that you're focusing on and is sort of carrying you, without it being like, okay, I'm gonna give you words that you have to think right now or yeah. a thought that you have to follow. It's just here's something to carry you into this space where you can maybe be more fully present in a different way. Which I feel like might just be the best uh, segue that we can <laughs> come to, to, uh, to talk just a little bit about your own story around mm -hmm. the experience of playing a dulcimer becoming way more than just playing a dulcimer. Yeah, so when I was 20 years old, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and my lymph nodes were in my neck and in my chest and the thymus gland. And so um, my doctor consulted with a bunch of 
different doctors and said the best course is going to be giving you a whole bunch of chemotherapy mm. which is going to make you feel really awful for a while but in the long run should have the best long-term results with the fewest long-term side effects and since you're only 20 that's what we're going for yeah so I had chemotherapy every other week and it took about two to three hours for the chemo and then I pretty much felt like I had a horrible case of the flu for mm -hmm. the next seven to ten days and then I'd get like a few days where I felt kind of good and then I'd go and do it all over again. Oh man. Twelve times. So, um, so after the first treatment I asked my chemo nurses if it would be okay for me to bring my dulcimer with me to chemo treatments. And I was receiving chemo at the Tammy Walker Cancer Center in Salina, Kansas, in this big open room where all of the chemo patients are sitting. And they give you this comfortable kind of reclining chair, and it's a very quiet space. People are reading or sleeping, and it's like there's this there's this quiet that permeates that's like, don't break it, because this is serious, kind of. So I, I wanted to be respectful of that, but I also knew that, for me, the best possible distraction for they're filling my veins with stuff that's going to make me really sick almost immediately and takes two or three hours is to play my instrument. Yeah. So I asked the nurses if, I, if it would be okay for me to do this. And so they agreed, and I just told them if it's disturbing any of the other patients who are in the room. I want to be cognizant of that. Just let me know and I'll stop playing. And what I found out about eight treatments in is that other patients were requesting chemo during errand times <laughs> <laughs> so that they would also be there when I was playing my instrument. And so this thing that was very much about distracting myself, um, turned out to give that same experience to the other people like a space where instead of having to be focused on right now what I'm experiencing is really painful and difficult it mm. was a space of experiencing like something outside of that yeah and yeah I think that one of my favorite things about that story is the recognition that that what we're talking about in the role of music in someone's life is not that it has the instant ability to make you happy or something like that, right. but that it can somehow give someone like a slightly different path into the horror that they're experiencing, knowing that they have to actually go through it. And mm -hmm. maybe it gives them, yeah, like I said, a different path than just walking straight, uh, straight into it. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about Richard Rohr and about contemplative prayer and kind of some of the Catholic and Celtic Christianity modes of like working through things by taking lots of time to give yourself space to work through them. Yeah. And I think that sometimes music for me has been one of the tools to, to accomplish that. Right. It's your form of contemplation. Yeah. Music. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and Parker Palmer said something about the importance of having pauses. Hmm. And um, I'm forgetting her name now, but they were in a conversation, and she was talking about that importance too. And I started thinking about how, what, how what I do, and how it does it for me, 
is that music often creates the pauses in the life around me, sometimes mm. for me and sometimes for others. So when we're in a concert, like last night, there's all these people that, many of whom had not met each other in somebody's home. Um, some of the people knew each other, but they, nobody knew, was nobody was connected with everybody, huh. except for through the music. And for a short period of time, we have a pause from any other conversation that's going on. We have a pause from any of the other anxieties or the fears or the weight of what's happening. And people, there were people who were just, they were beaming. They may not have come in that way, but they sure went out that way. Yeah. And, and sometimes you don't get an hour. Sometimes you don't get a whole evening. Sometimes you get a moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the three-minute song on the radio is kind of the radio length, right? There are times, and I think anybody who's listened to the radio has had a moment where all of a sudden they were out of whatever they were in. Yep. And they went somewhere for three minutes. Yep. And it may have been a painful place, may have been a joyful place, may have been a wow place. Yeah. That all of a sudden, the, all the all the different veils we live through are torn asunder, and we can see through for a moment. Hmm. Um, I had an experience once. I was listening to Scottish bagpiping while I was driving through downtown Kansas City, going to work at my my other job. I was pastor part-time and I was building patios and decks part-time mm. so I'm going to work this job and I have my cassette player on my seat next to me because I didn't have a radio in my car and I had the bagpipes playing really loud <laughs> and all of a sudden as I'm you know Kansas City's a lot of hills so I was coming down and going up and all of a sudden I came over and the city was gone mm. in my vision I'm still driving the car but all I can see are these flags flying and I can hear the skirl of the pipes, and wow. I can see I can see drummers and you know tartans and all this stuff, <laughs> and then phew, I'm back into Kansas City again. Like a mystical yeah. experience. Yeah, it was like yeah. a whoa! I went through whoa, and I'm back. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm almost pulled over to go. What happened right there? Is there yeah. a portal to another right. realm? You know, right. how do I get there? And it was the music that did it. Wow! And it made me kind of wonder about genetic memory. Uh. You know, I don't know. I'm wondering if I could uh, push you into telling a bit of your story as well um, with your own life journey and, mm -hmm. and the role that uh, that music played for you. Sure. Um, I had a friend uh, from junior high through high school who I saw at a reunion. It was right after my pictures on the cover of Dulcimer Players News. It was a big high point in my life. <laughs> and I got to see her and share some memories and make her laugh. and. And then I heard like two weeks later, she was just flat out and didn't have a diagnosis yet, but she was failing. All her huh. systems were gone. And one of our other classmates was one of the doctors that helped figure out what was going on. And uh, she came in and says, you're not going to believe this, but we're really happy to know that you have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hmm. And she said, why is that? She says, because now we know what to do. <laughs> We have a name for it. We know yeah. what to do. So I thought, well, what can I do? That's what she did for. What can I do? Huh. And one of my friends suggested that I make, you know, what I'd want is music. You know, I didn't know if this was going to be her last days or, and yep. she's got four children, five, five children, four children, a lot of children, and a husband that, uh, you know, we went to college together too. And so I made this recording and sent it to them, and it, it's not because of the recording, but she got yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and she she sent me a, a letter later talking about she music was I sent her a lot of things but she said that's the one she liked the best so I thought okay well that's great 
Well, then in 2013, I'm diagnosed with thyroid cancer, mm. and I have my surgery, and before I can even start the treatment that's the follow-up of that, I'm trying to sleep at night, and everything, thyroid's in your throat, and everything's swollen up, and I'm, you know, that makes you anxious. You're not, you're afraid you might not be able to breathe. What am I going to do? So I'm listening in headphones to music all night, and I had a couple of CDs that seemed to really do the trick that were on my iPod um, from friends of mine, and then there was this one that I had made for my friend, hmm. and it turned out that I didn't know. I thought I was doing this to help somebody else out, and it turned out it shepherded me yeah. through the night, through the nights, because there were more than one. But, yeah. Um, sometimes I, I'm just amazed at how you know we send little feelers or scouts into the future to pull us through something that's tough and yeah you know for me it was music oh that's so cool that feels like a like a mystical experience again mm -hmm. that yeah. the, the song that gave you comfort was a song that came from your your own imagination um, yeah that's really cool yeah. so when steve was talking about the pauses earlier yeah um and another thing that I thought of is that music actually teaches us to pause because music mm. isn't music without space between. It's the space between the notes that make it powerful. And I actually remember listening to a, a recording when I was in college, and it was um, by one of my favorite dulcimer players, and I was just really struck by it. So I started to try and figure out what he was playing thinking this is going to be really complex because this is really speaking to me so it must be hard to play and I realized that it was very simple and had a lot of space and what had been most profound about that song was the amount of space and the simplicity in it Wow! and that music can actually teach us that those pauses are necessary that's so good and uh kind of gives me a segue so if if you don't mind <laughs> i will take it um i will take the segue into maybe how we can end our conversation today so you had mentioned richard Rohr um a few minutes ago and the center that he runs is called the center for action and contemplation what's so interesting about that is that when you think about those two things about doing something and then being still or silent or, you know, alone or whatever, that they seem to kind of go against each other. You know, that either you act or you you be still. Yeah. And what you just said made me think so strongly that, like, what makes a, a song every now and then, this profoundly powerful song, is not the notes, it's not the the actual song that's being played alone anyway, it's it's the space between the notes as well. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of what what I think anyway, what um, Richard Rohr is really about, what we here at Mile High Ministries are really, really about, which is to say that to be the action inside the world that we feel like we need to be, we need the pauses. If we don't have the pauses, then we reach what we call, you know, uh, burnout mm -hmm. or some, yeah, we somehow reach this point where we're not doing a whole lot of good. Yeah. Um, anymore. So I'm wondering if I could pivot the conversation toward not necessarily just Richard Rohr, but there seems to be a common thread between the three of us here that we appreciate the stillness, the silence of a um, spirituality that's not just about doing, 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 moving, 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 having to get everything right. There's something about just resting and being still in the presence of God. Okay. 
I was tasked with providing worship for a group of pastors in the Ozarks of Missouri where they didn't have a piano. And the person who gave me this task said, I want the accompaniment to be with dulcimer. I said, okay. They hadn't done this before, but she thought it would be fitting. And mm -hmm. so I set, uh, set out to do this, provide all the worship for all the services. And it created, and I recruited some other dulcimer players to play with me, so it wouldn't just be one. So there would be a community of players and a community gathered. And the response from the people was, wow, I don't feel like I'm in competition with the musicians. Hmm. I, f I feel like I, somebody said, um, somebody else said, I feel like I've prayed in the first time that I prayed in a long time. Hmm. Somebody else said, this was contemplative, and I needed that. So it was, it was clear that by changing instrumentation, it changed what the expectation was and the experience of what the worship was. In the process of that, I was, um, I don't think I was introduced to, but I made use of a lot of the music from the Iona community in mm -hmm. Scotland. And for me, there's a lot of those song, those tunes that I don't know if I don't know. Hmm. And there's, they just feel like they've always been there yeah, in they, some way. They seem familiar. They feel like a piece of me. Yeah. And to be able to, they took this process of taking the tradition of the, the church and the theological framework and the tradition of the music and wedding them with contemporary language. Hmm. And it was faithful on all counts. And um, and that's the other thing people resonate is like, wow, these are words like for now. Hmm. And this was 20, 30, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? I don't know, it was a long time ago. <laughs> and it was words for now. They turn out to still be words for now. Yeah. Um, and I know sometimes we don't want things updated. We like things the way they were. We were listening to our friends say, the reason I like the Christmas music is because it's always the same music. <laughs> I count on that. It's like my pole star. I can spin everything around the world around that. Um, it may be different people sing it, maybe a different tempo, maybe a lot of different things, but it's still that same thing. And I think we need that. Hmm. But if that's all it was, it'd be a stagnant pond full of algae and mosquitoes. Yeah, and for algae mosquitoes may be great, not for other people around it. <laughs> right, oh, that's good. So there's like so many different directions. I feel like this yep. could go at this yeah. point, and I'm yeah. debating about which way I feel like I want to take it. <laughs> but I think there is always this tension between doing and being, huh. and so I like I like to call it the dooby dooby doos. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so I think I think that my experience having had cancer and being very very sick for an extended period of time, mm. not like people who have chronic illness and are sick for years and years of their lives, but like a very focused period of my life, there wasn't very much that I could do. And so learning to be was this really important piece of that. Yeah. And then how do you carry that sense of knowing how to be present and that simply being in the presence of God and in the presence of other people is often enough mm. with there is something that I need to do. Like there are actions that we need to take that faith without works is dead, but also right. faith that's only works is not actually faith at all. It's just doing a lot of things. Yeah. And so that, that, tension that's always kind of pulling at us um and steve actually really likes to end 
songs that end on an unresolved chord. <laughs> I do. I love that. And I hate that. Like, I <laughs> am like, resolution. <laughs> this needs to resolve. But because I've played music with Steve a lot, I'm learning to find this place of being okay with existing in the tension. Huh. And, and I think that's part of what Richard Rohr talks a lot about, too. It's like, you're not necessarily going to find this is the thing that works, or this is the answer, or this is the perfect. It's like, we just have to be able to live in the tension of what do I do? When do I need to be silent? When do I need to speak? When do I need to act? When do I have an answer to a question? And when is just living in the question enough? Like all of that and being connected to like being okay with it doesn't always have to resolve right now yeah like i think all of that has been really profound in shaping my my life and i don't always get it right but i think i'm always cognizant of there has to be this balance between the doing and the being yeah and when one or the other starts to be more prevalent in my own life, that's often time for me to reevaluate and to say, what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing right now? Yeah. Or what am I not doing that I should be doing? Uh, what I was thinking is that the Scottish music is the music that tends to end on the five. Uh-huh. It, on the five chord. It's, it's the dominant chord. It's pointing you, but it doesn't get you there. Uh, it is the unresolved music. The unresolved music. And more than, more than others I've played, it's not the only, but they're seems yeah. like there's a larger proportion of tunes. I would agree with that. And then I, I wrote one, and I was singing it for our friend Jenny Hankins, and she goes, oh, you ended on the Motel 6 chord. <laughs> and it's like, what? And the other friend that was there, like, Motel 6, she goes, yeah, you're not home yet, but you're going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and that was the 4 chord. Yeah, the 4 chord, the 4 chord feels... See, you like the Motel 6. It's got the light on for you. Yeah. Right? It, it feels less <laughs> tense and unresolved uh, than the 5 chord. It's which, not pulling it so hard. Yeah. yeah. The 4 chord feels like I, I can be okay with there. And the 5 chord just feels like I'm, I don't belong here. <laughs> I feel like there's a book here that you two can write just about living life in the 4 chord and 5 chord and being okay with it. Um, there's a there's a story that comes to mind around this idea that that in the midst of frenzy, which I think that we find ourselves in in so many cases, and I think that you know in the the work that I do, one of the um, spaces that we find ourselves in is the question of how do we address blatant injustice, and when you're in that sort of tense time uh there's there's a story that comes out of the well it comes out of the scriptures but the celtic um, christian communities have really really um, resonated with this story and so they the person that sort of gives the authority from scripture to the celtic communities is saint john and that comes from this one story at the last supper when when jesus makes the famous announcement that someone is going to betray him and you just get this image in your head that most of these disciples around the table are in this panic like i mean especially judas you know he's you know he's 
palms are sweating everything else but others are like who who's it gonna be who is it oh my gosh and you just get this image in your head that it's just this tense and frenzied moment and then there is this exchange that happens that in western christianity gets glossed over so many times because we're so uncomfortable with male-on-male affection but saint john literally snuggles with jesus he rests his head on Jesus' mm. chest, and the Celtic Christian community has said for years and years and years that at that moment that he heard the heartbeat of God. Mm. And it's in mm. that then that they draw this idea of what we do when we are still, is we are listening for the heartbeat of God. And mm. we do this especially when things are most frenzied and most tense. And most of the time, to, to try to use that as a cop-out for doing something is not is not where that is aimed most of the time if you hear the heartbeat of god i think that it will compel you to action but i think that it'll be a certain kind of action that will be maybe the most i don't know if the word is helpful or or what the word the word would be but it would it, it'll maybe be a more a profound action than if you just go straight from the um, ego place or or whatever sort of comes most most naturally so we have just a few minutes left and i want to give you to the chance to offer a last word and it doesn't have to be about that you can you can go wherever you feel like you want to go but you will have the chance to get the last word Well, I'm this. We're at a particular point in history now, and um, in January, I went with my my whole family and their partners. So my wife, my daughter, my son, and their partners, and we all went and we took part in the women's march in San Francisco. Hmm. So there were who knows how many hundred thousand of us because when you're in the midst of that mass of people, you can't tell. Yeah. But we couldn't get on the train. We couldn't get off the train to hmm. get downtown. When the train stopped, we got on the platform, but we couldn't go up the stairs because there were so many people. <laughs> because on the plaza up above, there were so many people. And yes, it was inconvenient. There were pauses we did not plan on. Yeah. We had to wait a long time and stand still. We got up there. There were rumors flying. Oh, if we go to this way. And everybody knows everything about everything, and nobody knows anything. <laughs> and so we're in this mass of this, but we're all there, and it was joyous at the same time. Mm. And when it came time to start moving, we didn't move very fast or move very far. Yeah. It was going to be, you know, like a couple mile march. And and it was pouring down rain. Umbrellas would come out and then they'd go away. <laughs> and you know, we were just laughing. And, and as we're walking, my daughter says, Dad, let's sing this land is your land. Mm. So we started and I know the verses. So I'm leading the verses and the people around us start singing with us not knowing the verses but knowing the chorus and, yeah. and that song keeps coming around again Woody did a good job with that one and um, that carried us for a good while and then I started some, some South African freedom songs and they didn't quite know all those and they had a little harder time picking those up and so then the thing kind of petered out and then it just seemed like it was taking a longer time <laughs> to uh, get there. Yeah. but it was a moment of that like you were talking about the slave songs it was a lifting of the whatever it was that we felt we might have been burdened by, it was also buoyant by hope. Mm. Um, because, yes, you, anybody can say anything they want, but it was made for you and me. Mm. And, and no one could take that away. And so there was that kind of a hope. The next day in the newspaper, the Chronicle 
had a report in which they said, and people were singing, this land is your land. <laughs> now, I have no idea if they were a reporter by where we were or if they were someone else's, another group of people. But I still took huh. a picture and sent it to my daughter and said, that was your idea. That's awesome. To sing in this place, to sing that song. And somebody heard it. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's a, just a whole lot that we could do just with the role of song within movements um, that unfortunately we don't have time for, but uh, I love that story. How about you, Erin? Yeah. So I think that that my final thought would just be whether you have a, had a lot of music in your life or hardly any music in your life, to look for the songs that speak to you and surround yourself with them. Um, so one of my favorite things to do is just open a hymnal and and read the hymns and sing mm. the hymns and I find comfort there. But what whatever it is, and if you haven't found it yet, keep looking because it is out there. And if you think I could never play music or this could never be a thing that I could have, I have students in their 80s who would argue that. <laughs> and, I, and I would argue that. Like, there's, there is something, I think, whether, whether you find your outlet in music or whether you find your outlet in something else that gives you that, that way to process and that space to pause, look for it because it's really important and it's probably more important now than it ever has been. Absolutely. Agreed. Well, Aaron, I really appreciate you uh, coming all the way here to Denver as opposed to doing Skype. Um, Steve, I'm glad that you came along yes, too. I'm glad you. to have met you and to have this opportunity to um, introduce my brand new friend to anyone who is also listening. And thank you to anyone who took the time to listen and go in peace.